thyself through bodies and mind screams of the earth. Souls rotten from the orgasm drug, flesh shuddering from the ovens, prisoners of the earth, come out, storm the studio. Burnt metal smell of interplanetary war in the raw noon streets, swept by screaming glass blizzards of enemy flak. Shift lingvals, free doorways, cut word lines, photo falling, word falling, breakthrough in gray room. Towers, open fire. Citizen, you are listening to WCBN-FM in Ann Arbor. Guilt, blast, pound, stab, strap, kill. Pilot K-9, you are cut off. Back. Return to base immediately. Ride music beam back to base. Stay out of that time, Flack. All pilots, ride pan pipes back to base. Well, uh, good evening and welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley. And in the Flava Flav chair today, I'm Jim Dwyer. Me and Jim are, have switched spots, <laughs> so I'm going to be completely discombobulated. Well, me, me too a little bit, and I say Flava Flav because i uh busy with some uh, school-related activities this week, and so I'm basically going to do a whole lot of, yeah, Chuck, that's right, Chuck. Oh, the old <laughs> winging it. Yeah. Well, we can always start out with an easy subject, which is the much ado about nothing, the infamous beer bash or beer summit. Um, oh. The only teachable moment for me is that uh, Obama and these two chowder heads <laughs> from Boston uh, don't know much about beer. <laughs> Yeah, what's the do? He's drinking Blue Moon. So we're uh, going to give terrible beer. We're going to give. I don't drink much beer, and even I know that. I understand Obama having to go with Budweiser and Bud Light. I guess uh, to the uh, unknowing public about beer probably sounds better than Bud. Um, Unless they were smoking some of the kind Bud yeah. at their summit, which Famous might have for, led to a different discussion. Famous for those uh, beer ba uh, beer battles that they have during the Super Bowl. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, uh, yeah, well, it's interesting because Henry Louis Gates switched uh, to Boston. Uh, uh, Sam Adams, he was originally going to have a Red Stripe, which is a Jamaican beer. It's a fine beer. It's an interesting beer, but somebody probably in the public relations department of Harvard. <laughs> Dude, go for a Boston beer. You better get some from Boston, man. And, of course, the blue moon from Belgium with the orange slice. That stuff is terrible. Uh, I'm not, drinking perfume. Yeah, it's wheat. It's wheat beer, and I don't mean to. I love wheat. Cream of wheat. <laughs> field of, field shredded of, wheat. Shredded wheat. It's good stuff. Wheat's great stuff. It's maybe the most important crop uh, grown in the world. And beer without wheat is like a morning without sunshine. <laughs> But uh, with all due respect to wheat beer, dude, what are you thinking? Uh, the orange slice says it all. It needs a slice of orange just to make it taste palatable. Uh, always be skeptical of a beer that's uh, served with fruit. Uh, beer is not meant to be served with fruit. So for you uh, college students out there... <laughs> And the younger crowd, and even the older crowd. Uh, let me uh, give you a few pointers about drinking beer. <laughs> uh, 
I'm an expert on the subject. And of course, uh, Gray Matters is in its, uh, its light moment at the moment. But uh, on a hot day, a Bud Light's okay. That's a wet beer. But uh, go for the lagers. The lagers are kind of mm-hmm. sweet. Um, Budweiser actually is a lager. Around here, probably the, your cheapest lager is Molson. Great stuff on a, on a hot summer day. Pilsner, on the other hand, has a little more flavor. I recommend Pilsner Urkel. That's a fine beer right there. Very tasty. Czechoslovakia, rich in body, full uh, flavored, and, of course, the bargain around here is Labatt's. So uh, don't hesitate to have one of those. Uh, Another fine lager, by the way, is Heineken. Uh, This was allegedly John F. Kennedy's beer. Uh, Read a little interesting thing in the Wall Street Journal over the weekend about presidents and their beers. And, of course, one of the uh, interesting side... uh, Stories of this main article, which I didn't bring in with me, was a uh, a uh, uh, defamation lawsuit that took place in Michigan, Ishpeming, <laughs> in which Teddy Roosevelt, of all people, sued the editor of the newspaper for claiming that uh, Mr. Roosevelt, this was during the 1912 uh, presidential uh, election in which he ran as a bull moose man, um, was, quote, not infrequently drunk. <laughs> And uh, Roosevelt sued and brought character witnesses and whatnot that claimed it wasn't true, but apparently he was known to have a few mint juleps. I don't know if Foghorn Leghorn was around back in those days, but one of his great lines from the Looney Tunes era was, I say, I say, boy, (laughs) bring me a mint julep. And uh, enough said, that's Foghorn Leghorn talking, not uh, your your famous uh, CBN station. Now, if you like a stronger flavor, go for an ale. Uh, ales, uh, we have wonderful uh, microbrews here in Ann Arbor. Mm. Um, and, of course, uh, Kalamazoo has uh, Bells. The Two-Hearted Ale is absolutely spectacular. And, of course, if you like a dark uh, Guinness, and, of course, Arbor Brewing, uh, a very reliable uh, supporter of Community causes and the left-wing events has a, a very wonderful um, Pharisee stout. That's that's a dark beer. And by the way, don't be fooled. Guinness, while it's rich in flavor, is low in alcohol. Hmm. And, of course, one final bit of trivia. I found out this summer from a mutual friend that the beer with the highest caloric, uh, uh, you know, calories per beer is Sierra Nevada, made in Chico, California. It's a very delicious beer, not unlike Two-Hearted in flavor. It's a, quote, pale ale. So, boys and girls out there, stick to the lagers, the pale ales, the pilsners, and the stouts. Don't go for wheat beer, and for gosh sakes, don't drink a light. (laughs) That may as well be called lame. Well, we may never know what they actually talked about, of yeah. course. Uh, the so that was the teachable moment, by. unfortunately. Um, but I think as many uh, talking heads on the uh, mainstream media acknowledge that, hey, the idea of sitting down and having a beer to talk things through is, is probably a good idea. It is. And I thought it was good, for instance, when Bill Clinton was president, he was uh, not adverse to having a beer with some of our European allies to talk turkey. Um uh, 
had a beer with Helmut Kohl, I know that, had a beer with uh, Vaslav Havel, and there's nothing wrong with uh, sitting down and having a beer. It's not that debilitating, and I think it was Ben Franklin, and I'm just going to paraphrase this, um, God must love us because he invented beer. <clears throat> so there we go. Now on to uh, more uh, pertinent political issues of the day. Uh, of course, the summer season, you get these... Kind of a slow news week. Slow news week. Uh, a lot of uh, mm, trivia here and there. Uh, of course, the health care uh, debate is still simmering. And we don't know what will ultimately happen with that. But uh, I wanted to point out a couple of facts um, that uh, the media has downplayed, unfortunately, regarding the, the notion that we can continue on the present course that we're on. This, of course, seems to be the Republican strategy, maintain the status quo, you know, strangle the baby in the cradle, to paraphrase Grover Norquist. But um, I just wanted to report a couple of things here. One is a uh, article that appeared in the Washington Post from the 21st of January about a growing number of workers in 2009 will pay more for health care benefits and in some cases receive less coverage as their employers grapple with the financial fallout of rising medical expenses and diminished revenue and profits. The Corporate Executive Board found in its survey that a quarter of officials from 350 large corporations said that they had increased deductibles an average of 9% in 2008 but 30% of them expected uh, employees uh, and were going to raise deductibles in 2009 to up 14%. Um, premiums for employer-sponsored programs, for instance, over the decade, and I'm quoting here from V. Dion Haynes, premiums for employer-sponsored uh, plans over a decade on average have risen to $12,680 a year from 57.91 according to the Henry J Kaiser Family Foundation the median deductible for the plans was $1,000 in 2008 compared to 500 in 2001 to 2007 according to a survey of 2900 employers so, you're going to be paying more, and you're going to be getting less. I don't know if that's a beer slogan, but maybe it ought to be. <laughs> Drink more and get less. Well, uh, that's been the trend for, yeah. uh, for some time now, uh, actually. Um, even going back to the very beginning of the uh, debacle that was the Bush administration, pay more and get less. It was true for gasoline. It's been true for everything. Yeah. And as you can see, when when the average cost per worker uh, is uh, $12,000, that's staggering. I mean, that's, you know, pretty much half of uh, what a, a minimum wage worker would make in an entire year. And, of course, you have those high deductibles accompanied with that. Mm -hmm. So if you see deductibles starting to go up to... Uh, $1,500 per whatever, injury or visit, uh, you're looking at incredible out-of-pocket expenses. Also, interestingly, a letter that appeared in the New York Times uh, dated June 14th and published on the 18th 
um, by David Balto uh, of uh, the Center for American Progress, writes and uh, notes, uh, between 2007 and 2000, the uh, 10 largest publicly insured uh, insurance companies, publicly traded, increased their profits 428 percent from $2.4 billion to $12.9 billion, according to the SEC. During this period, the number of insurers fell by 20%, largely because of the huge wage of, uh, wave of mergers, and premiums increased by more than 87%, rising four times faster than wages. Um, and then he goes on to note, today 95% of the American insurance markets qualify as tight oligopolies, and so many industries, blind reliance on free market forces has failed the American public. This is, of course, what is going to happen if we do nothing. And uh, while there are certainly shortcomings in the ultimate compromise that will, I think, at some point emerge out of Washington, though even that is not a certainty because now we're going into the propaganda wars. And we're going to get inundated uh, during the silly season with endless uh, TV commercials sponsored by the special interests, the insurance companies themselves, and uh, even the Republican Party that is going to continue to assert that uh, reform of health care costs, which is really what this is about, is, quote, socialized medicine. Yeah, the uh, going back to the attempts to tag uh, Obama with the socialist epithet in the campaign and, you know, especially worse even earlier in American history, the idea, uh, the accusation that anything even smelled of socialism was enough to render it politically dead in the water. But I think now that things have taken the turns that they have and we've reached the economic uh, impasse down here in the depths, especially here in Michigan with the highest unemployment in the country, that... Uh, I think many Americans are willing to reconsider the possibility that not everything will work if it's set up on a for-profit basis. That if you think about the simple infrastructure of, of towns and communities, that if everything was run on a for-profit basis, uh, you'd never have society. You'd never have civilization. Mm -hmm. Things like schools and public services, you know, uh, ambulance, uh, police, uh, basic services. These are things that are there to benefit everybody. We all need it. We all depend on it. Healthcare is one of those things. And, you know, we've got a system here where people come from all over the world to study medicine in American schools, mm -hmm. to do their training work in American hospitals. And then oftentimes uh, they decide to stay here because working conditions are better. Uh, a lot of third world countries, you know, countries where it's, it's, uncomfortable or expensive or politically difficult uh, to return to. So we've uh, got a lot of uh, skilled and highly trained uh, professionals here, but the system that is based on paying a for-profit uh, approach to medicine is uh, eating away at the whole thing like an army of rats. Yeah, and it's reducing American competitiveness. I think that one of the reasons that there absolutely has to be reform, and it's amazing because even many of the insurance companies are actually, quote, on board this time, at least some of them, that there need to be changes um, because you simply cannot continue in the trajectory that we're, we're going in. 
Um, obviously, to me, a single-payer system is, is the way to go. But I understand, you know, from a, uh, a point of pragmatism, that uh, that would be difficult to get through politically at the moment. Uh, but the Democratic Party, uh, for a change, needs to lead here and leave the, uh, the party of no um, that's uh, sort of led by John Boner Boehner from Ohio and Mitch McConnell that uh, the guy looks like a woodchuck <laughs> with glasses. I, I don't understand how anybody can take him seriously. And it's fascinating in a little political sideshow. Over the week, uh, it was noted that Jim Bunning, the uh, other Republican senator from the state of Kentucky, will not be running for re-election because Mitch McConnell has uh, sort of scotched the deal and refused uh, funding. You know, he controls the Mm -hmm. political purse strings there. So uh, it's very interesting that McConnell, the party, uh, the leader of the party of no, is even saying no to his, uh, (laughs) supposedly his friends, uh, even on his own side. So uh, this is uh, something that simply has to happen if America is to become more competitive globally uh, in this economic environment. And when you see that Medicare, parts of Medicare, uh, will be insolvent within a decade, uh, given the fact that the demographics show that in 2011 the, the baby boom uh, the baby boomers start retiring en masse. Uh, of course, many of them at this point have lost so much wealth. Uh, who Indeed. knows how many of them working longer? Who knows how many of them actually will retire? Um, because uh, it's it's pretty frightening uh, in a lot of areas out there in the economy, and uh, it's been well noted here in the state of Michigan that one of the problems that uh, General Motors, Ford, Chrysler had in terms of competing globally. In the automobile uh, market was the fact that they had a $1,500 per vehicle um, disadvantage uh, competing against the Germans, Koreans, and Japanese auto companies that have, quote, socialized medicine, unquote. In their countries. In their countries. But not for the workers who work in the American plants down south. Exactly. So we need to make that distinction. And... Uh, um, This, of course, is unfortunately one of the areas that the big three should have been more focused on much earlier rather than worrying so much about CAFE standards, which uh, um, was myopia on their part. Cash for clunkers. Hmm. Yeah, a lot of hype about that. Seems to have worked. Cash for clunkers. Ford's having its best sales uh, in two years. Sort of the theme of the American economy over the... uh, Last 30 years. Yeah. (laughs) That, I think, will in the future be a uh, campaign slogan. (laughs) Don't give your cash to those clunkers that are running for re-election. When John McCain's head runs for president, Futurama style. Yeah. (laughs) Without a space helmet. Well, uh, another interesting uh, thing that I wanted to uh, bring to people's attention since we're on this subject of health care costs is the interesting report that appeared uh, earlier this year by, of all people, the Federal Reserve. And what I find fascinating about this is it reports that the entire family wealth gain throughout the decade of uh, 
Mr. Bush was a, quote, mirage. And these numbers, I'm going to read these numbers because these numbers are before the recession started. That's what's amazing about it. Um, The Federal Reserve, in a report released uh, in February, and this article is dated the 13th of February, found that median net worth of American households increased by a seemingly healthy 17% between the end of 2004 and the end of 2007. But the gains were wiped out by the collapse in housing and stock prices last year. Adjusting for those declines, federal officials estimate that the median family was now 3.2% poorer as of October 2008 than it was at the end of 2004. The new survey offers... A few glimpses into how American families were positioned financially as the roof fell in on the economy. Adjusted for inflation, the median household income actually edged down slightly over the three years ending in 2007. The mean or average household income jumped by a respectable 2.5, or excuse me, 8.5 percent. But a growing share of income came from investment profits rather than from wages and salaries. And the wealth that Americans were building was overwhelmingly in the form of paper profits that vanished as quickly as they appeared. Federal analysts estimated that uh, 38, or excuse me, 35.8 percent of the average family assets in 2008 were in quote unrecognized capital gains unquote. Uh oh, <laughs> I love that phrase. <laughs> Such as the market value of houses that people had yet to sell. Slightly more than half of those unrecognized gains came from real estate, and the second biggest source was increases in the value of, quote, business assets, unquote. So, yes, beware of uh, unrecognized capital gains. That sounds like one of those uh, Orwellian accounting terms. (laughs) Or standard operating procedure at the Madoff uh, firm. Yeah. According to my broker, we're in excellent shape. And of I course, have many unrecognized uh, gains. The unrecognized um, capital losses, I should hasten to add, are the Iraq and Afghanistan wars uh, to the tune of $1 trillion. Um, George Bush, Dick Cheney, what brilliant statesmen they were, put a lot of this money off budget, unquote. And in that Edmund Andrews uh, article that I just read, it's interesting that the Case-Shiller Index of Housing Prices in 20 Major Cities, considered the most accurate barometers of such prices, has declined 25% since the middle of 2006. On top of that, Mr. Baker, and it's quoting uh, Dean Baker, who used to live here in Ann Arbor, estimated that the addi- an additional $6 trillion evaporated as a result of the plummeting stock market for a total loss of $12 trillion since 2006. Wow. That's the mirage of wealth. And um, this country needs to get back to the drawing board in so many areas, and healthcare is just one of them. Um, but it's essential, uh, I believe, that uh, some serious um, restructuring and glosnost openness 
yeah. maybe uh, coincide with the uh, with the uh, approach to reforming some of the problems that are very apparent uh, with the structural imbalances in the American economy. Um, since the dis- distribution of wealth is now recognized to be at the worst position since the 1920s, which of course preceded the Great Depression, uh, there need to be some quote clawbacks. And we hear about this word clawback all the time uh, in the media regarding these uh, offensive corporate bonuses uh, and whatnot that, of course, continue to outrage the public, and there is no end in sight. Well, a quick uh, local note here. The uh, Ann Arbor News, of course, has uh, ceased publication and now exists uh, only online as a daily journal. But they have begun their twice-weekly printing Mm -hmm. of uh, a a hard-copy newspaper. And while I think that probably makes a lot of sense in a number of ways, uh, more and more younger people read uh, and and take in most of their information and even entertainment from the Internet anyway. Older uh, people in in Ann Arbor, pretty highly educated uh, populace, they're probably a lot more uh, internet uh, active older folks uh, than say Jackson or uh you know Leslie uh, places out uh, or further north in Michigan um so it probably makes a lot of good economic sense to only do a, a hard copy print paper twice a week but i have to give them a something of a brain damage award for the name they've given the print copy they call it annarbor.com that's a really stupid name for a hard copy newspaper. Mm-hmm. That's a, obviously a logical name for the website, uh, although, again, still fairly generic. Uh, why not AnnArborNews.com? It is a newspaper. It is a news service. Why they've just called it AnnArbor.com, I, I, I don't know. I don't understand. But as somebody who works with language and who studies and uh, ponders uh, the use and applications of language. Uh, I think naming the hard copy newspaper after a website is a really stupid idea. And while I'm glad that they're still doing a hard copy paper twice a week, they need to come up with a better name for it. I would uh, agree with that, and I, I haven't been that impressed with the initial uh, couple of publications. Yeah, I, I'm going to give them a while to kind of get rolling yeah, with it. Yeah, I'm going to uh, let them get their feet wet or their knees at least dirty as they go into the water. Uh, so we will uh, keep an open mind about that. I, of course, ironically get it automatically because I had already paid up my Ann Arbor News subscription through September, I think. Ah. So uh, I'm entitled to uh, their a publication for a couple of more months. Such anyway. as it is. Such as it is. Hey, at least you get the coupons and you get some yeah, local news. entertainment information, I think, is right. useful. Uh, I'm glad that they're continuing the spotlight, for instance, on Thursday that mm-hmm. allows um, normal <laughs> or, or old fogies like me to figure out what the heck's going on or, or assist in what's going on because sure. there are other, obviously other uh, resources. A couple of other interesting sort of... Uh, publication uh, events that or incidents that happened over the weekend. I noticed that Morton Zuckerman, who's been affiliated with a number of uh, sort of uh, intellectual or pseudo-intellectual uh, publications over the years, including the U.S. Uh, uh, News World and Report, and I think he was involved in the Atlantic Monthly for a while. But anyway, he's sold off some of his holdings, 
And interestingly, he was a victim in the Madoff scandal. Uh, he sold off some holdings to actually invest some more money into the New York Daily News. Hmm. He currently owns that. And in another uh, interesting development over the weekend, apparently Rupert Murdoch has decided <clears throat> to sell the Weekly Standard uh, for $1 million. Uh, the publication... That's a bargain basement price. Yeah. Well, it's, that's because it loses money. It's, uh, it's never been profitable since its founding in 1995. And, of course, this is sort of the organ piece or, uh, shall we say, uh, magazine organ for Bill Crystal's mouth. It's a mouthpiece for Bill yeah. Crystal. How about that, after I've mangled that, uh, those uh, cliches. Uh, it's interesting that this is being sold to a fellow named Philip F. Anschultz. Um, he apparently is somewhat of a Howard Hughes type, doesn't give interviews, huh. and a bit of a mystery man. Um, and it's interesting that uh, he made his billions in oil, real estate, railroads, telecommunications before turning to the media and is more closely aligned, according to Tim Arango in today's uh, New York Times, with Christian conservatism, not with the Weekly Standard's sort of muscular foreign policy. And I mentioned the muscular foreign policy because, of course, Bill Kristol was one of the leading neoconservatives that mm -hmm. urged the Iraq war uh, publicly to the American people. Very early. Very early and very often. William Sapphire did his job over at uh, the New York Times. Uh, he was calling for the overthrow of Saddam Hussein back in uh, sl November slash December of 2001 since it was apparent that the Taliban were on the run. But as we've uh, now learned uh, from these dreadful uh, casualty numbers uh, from Afghanistan over the last month, the fighting continues and the war is uh, beginning to escalate. And I didn't bring in the article, but it was refreshing to hear that a military expert has re recommended that the American uh, government declare victory in Iraq and get out. That, of course, is a famous phrase from Vietnam. Mm -hmm. Uh, that we need to, do, quote, declare victory and withdraw. Uh, and hopefully that can continue. Um, we shall see. Um, I, it's obvious that there is clearly um, modifications occurring in the Iraq policy as we speak, but unfortunately these modifications seem to be uh, coinciding with a, with a desire to escalate the situation in Afghanistan, which I think is a mistake. Oh, it'll be fruitless in every possible way. It's it's a country that is is a country by default. There's it's it's not possible to do anything conclusive in Afghanistan because it's always going to be pockets of tribal warriors, yeah, sort of waging uh, war against each other, and uh, well, not with the American military. That's well, that yeah, that's the key. Uh, getting involved with economic development buying up the opium crop, helping out with infrastructure projects and that sort of thing, I'm all in favor of that. That would be a, a positive use of the money, and it would be way cheaper, too. But I find it fascinating that there's be, beginning to obviously occur, with, res, with respect to the Afghan policy, a clear unease, uh, to put it mildly, that the Europeans are beginning to have with mm -hmm. the whole operation. And, of course, our friends to the north and, of course, uh, in some cases just to the south of us, the Canadians, um, Michigan nestled in the middle there, 
um, are, are increasingly becoming wary of their role in Afghanistan. And um, getting out of Iraq, getting the troops out completely, uh, virtually completely, uh, you know, obviously they're going to need some residual uh, impact there, is a good idea, but it was troubling.